Welcome, welcome everyone to the Tony Harris Show. I want to thank everybody for, for tuning in. I want to thank God, first of all, first and foremost, for instructing me to share my life experiences in hope of helping others to avoid what I went through and also those who shared a similar experience as me to be released from their hurt and their betrayal. But first of all, let me say I wanted I wanted to let you guys know that my podcast are now uh, available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Next week, starting in the month of, of February, I'm, I'm only going to post maybe about 15 15-minute segments of each show on Facebook because I'm expanding my platform to a more national level where people all over the country and all over the world you know, can tune in to the Tony Harris Show. So I want my show to be available for everyone worldwide. So again, please continue to support the Tony Harris Show, which will be available every Friday on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you have an iPhone, iTunes, of course, you know, is already available on your phone on the podcast app. And SoundCloud, you can just Google SoundCloud.com and type in the Tony Harris Show. I appreciate you guys supporting me and I appreciate you guys tuning in in iTunes, which will be posted. My shows will be posted each and each and every week on Fridays, the new show will be posted. And we appreciate everyone for tuning in. We appreciate everyone's support of watching the Tony Harris Show, man. We love you guys. And we're here to inform and we're here to educate. So we, we will have you guys, if you wanted to ask questions, of course, you can comment on the Facebook Live, right? Mm-hmm. And I will answer those questions. If anybody has questions about, you know, my story and what I went through, uh, or whatever it is, or or if it's a question uh, about your your son or your daughter, your athlete or someone you know, um, please feel free to comment in the comment section, and I will answer those on the podcast, which will be available every Friday. So I thank you guys for tuning in, and that's that. So let's jump right in. Of course, everybody know who's tuned in on last week on last week's show. I ended the show talking about how my dorm phone at the University of Tennessee was tapped by the athletic director, Doug Dickey. I was called into his office. I was unaware of why I was being called in. Upon arriving to Mr. Dickey's office, I see about four other Caucasian men sitting at the table. I was told to have a seat. When I sat down, Doug Dickey slid a stack of papers toward me. On the papers were dated and time recorded conversations that were between myself and New York-based agent Andy Miller. Now, Andy Miller was a well-respected agent at the time in the NBA. He represented Kevin Garnett. He represented Tyron Lue, Chauncey Billups, Mike Miller, and the list goes on. So as I was looking, as I was looking at the papers, he said to me, you know this is an NCAA violation, right? This is what the athletic director told me, Doug Dickey. And he asked me at that time, which I was a sophomore in college, was I planning on entering the NBA draft? So he said, Tony, are you planning on entering the NBA draft? I responded and said, I haven't thought about it. I was 18, 19 years old. I was caught off guard. I was surprised. I didn't know what was going on, but I felt that I was being trapped. So he said, well, if you decide to leave, this is what the athletic director told me. I'm going to turn you in into the NCAA. So when I got that information, when he told me that, I didn't know what to think. But actually, 
I was thinking about leaving school and entering the draft. At the end of the season, there was a lot of speculation that I was going to leave school and enter the NBA draft. There was an article in our school newspaper saying that I was possibly going to leave and some of my peers around campus were saying the same thing. So basically the word was out. I didn't tell anyone. I probably told a few teammates, me and a few teammates maybe conversed and talked about it, but I never went out public and said that I was going to enter the NBA draft. So shortly after my meeting with the athletic director, whose name was Doug Dickey, I get a call from my uncle, the uncle who was over my recruiting process. And he asked me, was I thinking about leaving school to enter the to enter the NBA draft? And I remember like yesterday telling him that I was really considering it and I really wanted to test the waters. After I told him that, he basically was trying to persuade me not to go, saying I had to get stronger saying that I need to stay in school and whatever else, you know, excuses that he made up to try to persuade me to stay in school and not enter the NBA draft. But, you know, at that time, I never thought about the timing of him calling me after I was interrogated by the athletic director. Not once did I see what was going on because I didn't have a committee basically looking out for me. And I spoke about the committee in the last in the last two shows about how you have to have a committee around you when you're making certain decisions, especially when you're a 17 year old, 18 year old phenom like I was, an 18 year old high school All-American entering college. But I didn't have that committee. I didn't have that support that I really needed at the time. So as I told you last week, the agent, Andy Miller, whose name was Andy Miller, I was conversing with over the phone He was out of New York, well-respected agent. He was giving me valid information concerning my draft status because he was in week-to-week conversation with NBA, NBA executives and general managers. And during that time, I was projected to go mid to late first round after my sophomore season. But on the other hand, I was being interrogated and blackmailed by the athletic director and persuaded by my uncle to not enter the draft. So on one hand, I got an agent that's telling me, hey man, you need to come out. You're projected to go mid to late first round. Those are guaranteed contracts in the NBA. You know, I was 18, 19 years old and I was getting good feedback from an agent saying, hey Tony, you need to leave. And that's the perfect time that I should have had the committee around me so I could discuss these things with them so we could make the best decision possible for me at that moment. But I I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have a committee established. Like I said, I didn't see it. I didn't see it then. But later on, after I left school, after I left the University of Tennessee, the pieces started slowly coming to me. They started coming together more clear for me. After meeting with Doug Dickey, the athletic director, I knew it was bigger than just Kevin O'Neill. At this moment, I said, you know what? It's it's bigger than Kevin O'Neill. And I'm going to tell you why. There were others involved because Kevin O'Neill left UT after my senior year was over at East High School. So I left East High School. My senior year was 1997 at at East High School. So Kevin O'Neill left and went to Northwestern University and then University of Tennessee hired Jerry Green. And Jerry Green, let me tell you a little bit about Jerry Green. Jerry Green was at Oregon before he came to UT. And prior to that, 
He served as an assistant under Roy Williams at Kansas. You know, Roy Williams was at Kansas. He's currently now at North Carolina. He served as an assistant under Roy from 1988 to 1992. A little over a month ago, let me take you back. A little bit over a month ago, I was on the Keith Easterwood show. And I talked about when I was a freshman at UT, I was out one night. I was at a restaurant with a teammate and that teammate was uh, Brandon Warden. He went to Nashville, Overton. He was a Nashville. He was a Nashville native and he was my backcourt mate at the University of Tennessee. So we was out one night at a restaurant getting something to eat. And this guy walked up to me and he said, hey, Tony Harris. And, you know, of course, I spoke back. And he said, man, it took a lot to get you here, but I'm glad you're here. And so I'm processing everything. I'm thinking to myself, it took a lot to get you here, but I'm glad you're here. So I responded and I said, well, what do you mean it took it took a lot to get me here? What do you mean by that? And he looked at me. He looked me in the eyes. and He said, oh, you don't know. And I said, know what? He said, we paid your uncle six figures to get you here at the University of Tennessee. So you got to imagine what was going through my head at the time. I'm a freshman. I'm 18 years old. I'm sitting I'm sitting with my teammate and my teammate. He heard this. So he was sitting right beside me. Wow. And when he looked at me, he looked at me and he kind of smirked because he knew that I was I was shocked. I just got some information that I didn't know how to receive. Right. Right. And him being a little older than me, I think he was a junior, maybe at the time. And I was a freshman. You know, he didn't. He didn't want me to see the look on his face. So he was kind of smiling like, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's OK. Right. You know, you know, basically your secret is safe with me. Yeah. Well, it's not a secret anymore because it's out. But basically he was giving me the look like, you know, man, don't worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm your brother. I got you. So I immediately assumed this guy who spoke to me and told me this information was an alumni or a booster. But I, but I never asked him. I never asked him. We exchanged words. We said what we said as far as, hey, how you doing and what I just told you. And, you know, he went his way and I I went my way. All I remember that night was feeling shocked and betrayed. But as my story unraveled, as it continued, it all made sense. The money that was paid to my uncle was for me to stay at the University of Tennessee for four years. Not one year, not two years, but for four years. That's six figures was a deal that was done for me to stay for four years. It didn't matter that I was a projected first round pick. That didn't matter at all. The deal was done for me to stay four years. And once once again, I was manipulated and I was sold out because I didn't have a committee. And I'm saying these things and I'm giving you guys my experiences because like I said, if you have a a child, if you have a future budding star, they definitely have to have a, a committee around them to help them, to protect them, to guide them. So things like this doesn't happen. And when I look back on it, I don't know anybody who would persuade a son or a nephew that is a, is a projected first round pick in the NBA to stay in school. I don't I don't know anybody who would do that. Do you know anybody who would do that? No, no, that's that's really <laughs> sad that that even took place because I feel like as just a sports fan and someone who grew up watching you play, your fan base, we all knew that you were ready to go pro your sophomore year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh and that's true. And like my agent at the time, I didn't sign with them, but I was just conversing with 
back and forth. And he was telling me all throughout the year, Tony, you're on everybody's NBA draft board. You know, so basically what that means, all the NBA executives and all the NBA general managers were saying this guy from the University of Tennessee, this point guard, this McDonald's All-American, he needs to come out now. Yeah. He's he's going to go mid mid to late first round. And we all know when you get drafted in the first round in the NBA, it's a guaranteed contract, whether it's three years, four years or whatever. I forget what it was back during my time, which was. 1998, 99, maybe 99 when I was coming, if I would have came out in in the NBA draft as a sophomore. So it was a guaranteed contract. And honestly, um, I want to interject. I really okay. thought that you were going to go pro after your freshman year. I right. really didn't think that you would stick around college long at all. Well, nobody did. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to be in college long. I knew I was good enough to play at the highest level. Right. All of the publications, the media, the magazines, they all projected me. Put it like this. They said I was talented enough that I only needed maybe one or two years in college. Right. You know, I was good enough that they said most of the time when kids stay in school, they stay. If they stay four years, it's because they need four years of college. Exactly. I didn't need four years of college. Right, right. I only needed one or two years just to learn a few things and then boom, you know, off to the NBA, you know, I'm playing at the highest level. And, you know, for me, when I look back on it, I couldn't understand why my uncle would tell me to not go out in the NBA draft, to not leave school and go to the NBA draft. Look, I grew up in Binghamton. I grew up in a two bedroom house with my grandmother and my grandfather. I knew what I wanted to do in life when I was five years old. I knew I was an NBA player. God birthed that and put that into my spirit. I knew it. So it was no denying that. And people who watched me play, they knew it. They knew it. And so not just people, but critics, uh, magazine people. Right. You know, I wasn't a top 24 player in the country in high school for no reason. I wasn't a top 24 player every year in college basketball. Right. Even throughout my four years of college basketball, I was a top 24 player. I was destined to be in the NBA. That was my destiny. Yeah. And I, and I want to say this also, I know back then so much have changed now with the rules of the NBA and right. You know, whether you can test the water with the agent or, and then go back to school. And I know during that time, the rules were much stricter. So Mm -hmm. if you, hired an NBA agent, correct me if I'm wrong, you Mm. weren't able to return back to college during those days. That's correct. Versus now, in this day and time, you can so-called test the waters. Right. And test the waters mean not hire an NBA agent, but you can go try out for different teams and go to combines and see where your draft status would be and how high you would go in the draft, or even if you would get drafted at, at all. Okay. And if you decide that you're not at a position or your stock is not high as you want it to, you can always have the option of going back to school, but not hire an agent. But if you hire an agent, that means you don't have the option of coming back to school to play. Okay. So in my case, I should have just went both feet in and just hired the agent and went out. But I didn't have a committee. I didn't have anybody in my circle pushing me saying, man, go. It's your time. You need to go. So, and respectfully, so with an agent, 
um, nothing against, you know, Andy Miller, but right. at that time, it was hard to really trust an agent 100%, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So I understand, you know, although you're hearing the agent saying now is a good time to go, I'm sure in your mind, having that support coming from a family member or someone close to you saying, hey, Tony, go ahead, you know, and take that leap of faith. This is your chance. Take it. Then it would have been a different outcome. Exactly. And that that was a, in my story. That was the only thing that was missing. I was missing that close family member. Anybody that's around me in my circle telling me, hey, we got your back. Do it. This is this is what you've been waiting on your entire life. Go for it. We got your back. Anything that you need, we're here for you. And I didn't have that. Yeah. So it was like I was 19 years old. But I'm not going to say that I didn't believe what the agent was saying, because I did believe what he was saying. Right. He was actually showing me where I was on draft boards. Okay. You know, I remember this on paper and showing me where what I was where I was projected to go. And so I remember seeing that with my own eyes. I just needed somebody to push me. You know, you just need that extra support when exactly. you're, when you're 19 years old. And then especially after going through an interrogation. Right. Going through an interrogation. So you needed that support. And I'm having the university, the athletic director tell me that if you go out for the NBA, we're going to get you in trouble with the NCAA violation, Right. which I didn't know at the time, which I still don't know. Was it a violation on their part that they tapped my dorm phone and was listening to my conversations? Right. So that's another thing that I didn't know um, at the time, if that was legal or not for them to tap my phone. I would think not, but yeah. So in my case, I'm thinking that's an invasion of privacy. But that's that. <laughs> okay, so moving on, the money that was given to my uncle, the University of Tennessee, they profited back tremendously. We all know that after my four years. So I stayed at four years. Of course, you know, after my four years was over, upon my upon my arrival to UT, starting my freshman year to my senior year, ticket sales went up as we nearly sold out every home game. And Thompson Bowling Arena seated at least about 25,000 plus. I don't know what it is now. They've done some re- renovations now where they got skyboxes and, and that sort of thing. So during the time, I know it was 25,000 plus and we're selling out every home game. They wasn't doing that before I got to the University of Tennessee my freshman year, which was in 1997 and 98. So you have to take that into account. And we also had four straight 20 plus win seasons, which they haven't done since my arrival. Four straight NCAA tournament appearances, which they haven't done since my arrival, since I came to the university. A Sweet 16, which they haven't done since I came to, since my arrival. And a SEC championship, which they haven't done as well. Also, we got to think about this the profits of selling my number 14 jersey. So in retrospect, I mean, the university, they made their money. Right, right. They made their money off Tony Harris. And so when I think about it, it was a trap from the beginning. As soon as I stepped foot on campus, it was a trap. It was a plot to keep me there for four years. Like I said, I was a projected first round pick. And these people blackmailed me and blackballed me, however you want to call it, to stay at the University of Tennessee. And blackballed too. But I can't give you too much of that information because it's going it's, it's going to be in my book <laughs> i am god is 
is, is guiding me and leading me to write a book. And so I will write a book on all the accounts and everything that I've given you so far is not even half. It's not even half of my story. There's some things that went on after I left the University of Tennessee as well, too. And let me add this. Okay. If I was in the position of, you know, your uncle or someone from the university who's paying six figures for a player, 350000 to be exact, then That's you right. don't pay that type of money for a one-year deal. Exactly. That's, those are my thoughts. Well, I'm sure your thoughts are pretty accurate. And she said 350000 and that was the price. That was the price that was paid to my uncle for me to go to the University of Tennessee, which I've never seen a penny of. I've never seen a penny of the 350000 that my uncle received. And she said her thoughts are that price was for me to stay four years, not one year. And I agree with that. Right. You know, 350000 you dish out 350000 you want a guy to stay there for four years. Exactly. You want to profit. Exactly. You want to profit. So you want to profit. And, and they profited. Like I said, you know, I, I told you about we sold out every home game. They wasn't doing that. Four straight 20 plus win seasons, four straight NCAA appearances, a sweet 16, a SEC championship. Also with selling the number 14 jersey, which there were a sea of them <laughs> in the Thompson Bowling Arena every time we played. Because I seen all the kids, you know, in Knoxville wearing my number 14 jersey, even some students who were representing wearing the number 14 jersey. So respectfully, they made their money back quadruple, 10 times, 20 times back. Yeah, so, sure. But, you know, when I look back at it, what I went through was a sacrifice. But it, but it wasn't a sacrifice that I was willing to do, but it was a sacrifice that I was chosen to go through. There you go. So let me say that again. What I went through was a sacrifice, but it wasn't a sacrifice that I was willing to do it was a sacrifice that I was chosen to go through. And what I mean by that, I was chosen by God to go through what I went through. When I think about and that and when I think about it from that aspect and from that point that I was chosen by God to go through what I went through, I was chosen to be a sacrifice. It makes what I went through my situation a little bit lighter and I walk in forgiveness. I walk in forgiveness towards my uncle. I walk in forgiveness towards everybody that was involved who had anything to do with with me not getting into the NBA or me not getting to the highest level of basketball or anybody who made money off of me. So when I think about or hear the word sacrifice, I always think about my Lord and Savior, Jesus, how he died on the cross for our sins so that we may have eternal life. See, Jesus was chosen by the Father to be a sacrifice. Jesus, he wasn't willing to be a sacrifice because if you remember in the Bible, he asked God to take this cup, this bitter cup away from me. Right. So Jesus knew he was about to be a sacrifice, but he didn't want to go through it. God chose Jesus to go with, go through it just like he chose me. So I look at my situation totally different now. You see, Jesus understood that he had to be sacrificed to go to his next level. So Jesus, like I said, he he understood that he had to be sacrificed to go to his next level so he can be seated at the right hand of God. And the and by the way, there is no position higher than Jesus position. He had to go through hurt 
and betrayal from someone that was very close to him. Jesus was the first one that was sold out. So I look at my situation and say, well, you know, who am I? Jesus was the first one that was sold out. So what I've learned from my past experiences is that whenever you're preparing your child or yourself to do a great work inspired by God, you definitely need a committee of people around you to help catabole you into your next dimension or your next level. I'm sorry, but I got to preach to you for a minute. See, when Jesus was on earth preparing himself to do a great work by spreading the gospel, he knew he needed a committee. Jesus knew he needed a committee because he knew it was a great work up ahead that he had to do for God. He needed a committee to assist him in spreading the good news because he knew his work was so big that he needed some assistance on getting God's word and getting God's gospel abroad across the whole wide world. He needed he knew he needed that assistance. Oh, yeah. That's why Jesus chose his 12 disciples. That's why he chose his 12 disciples. Jesus chose his committee. Jesus said, I got to have a committee with me. And that's what we have to do. We have to have our committee. You got a son, you got a daughter who you know has a promising future. You got to build a committee around them. You have to have a committee. And the saying, it takes a village to raise a kid or to raise a child is so, is, is so true. Yes, it is. And the Bible also talks about how you train up a child. You know, and that way he should go, you know, and and when he's older, he won't, he and, won't and depart from it. Exactly. And when he's older, he won't depart from it. And so that's that's what is needed. That's what's needed now. So the, the disciples, which was Jesus committee, they knew Jesus was gifted. They knew Jesus was gifted. And when you're gifted and got promise on your life, there's always going to be greed and jealousy sitting around waiting on the perfect time. To rob you. And most times it's the ones that's close to you. So similar to my story. I get chills when I think about it. I was gifted. I was I grew up in Binghampton. I loved to play basketball. All I wanted to do was get my grandparents and my mom out of Binghampton. That's all I wanted to do. And God blessed me with this gift. And with this gift, it attracted jealousy. Every time you got a gift or you got a promise, I understand why so many celebrities go through what they go through now. Right. And we don't know what they go through. We just see people slandering them a lot of times on social media and in the news and in the media. They build you up just to tear you down. And we look at these people like these people are so gifted. Why are they tearing these people down like this? Right. Because anybody with a gift, anybody with a promise on their life. It always attracts jealousy. It attracts jealousy because people are always looking for a come up. Right. You don't have people that are going to be motivated like you. You don't have people that is going to that are that is going to have drive or determination like you. You don't have people that love God like you, but they want what you got. They want your position. They want to share in the glory that God has placed on your head and that God has done in your life. They want a piece of it. So most of the time, it's always the ones that are close to you. In Jesus's case, it was Judas. Judas was a part of his committee. He was a disciple. Judas went to the chief priest to cut a deal with them, asking them, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? Talking about Jesus. Judas asked the chief priest, man, I want to cut a deal with you. So what will you give me 
if I sell out Jesus? Same thing in my situation. What would you give me if I sell out my nephew? What are you willing to give me? And they paid Judas 30 pieces of silver, which is the price was cheap. My uncle was paid 350000 which was cheap. According to my talent level, according to, to my skill set, and according to my future, you know, when you think about it like that, I'll give you 350000 for my nephew. When you think about it like that, man, the price was cheap. 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. Is not Jesus worth more than 30 pieces of silver? Am I not worth more than 350000 Yeah, because the NBA execs and the general manager said so. Because they said I was a mid to late first round pick. That's guaranteed millions, right? And that's just starting. And that's just starting off. Because like any other budding superstar in the league, I would have got myself in a position where I would have proved myself that I was worth more. That was just starting off just to get through the door. So, but the truth is, well, we all have probably had a Judas in our life. And that's a fact. If we haven't, at one point in time, we probably will. You know, at that time, I didn't understand why. But now I know it was to push me to my next level. So my goal now is to inform and educate this generation of athletes to help guide them into their destiny. That's why I've started my podcast. I took my pain and it's turning, God is turning my pain, what I went through, into my promise. God is turning my pain, what I went through, my, my test that I went through, he's turned it into my testimony so I can help others. He's given me a platform where I can reach everyone because I'm not the only one that, you know, have been through this test or have been sold out. This is happening in football. This is happening probably in baseball and other various sports. But I went through what I went through because God ordained for me to go through. God, I felt like God chose me to go through what I went through because he knew that I wasn't going to lose my mind. He knew that in spite of this happening to me, he knew that I was going to have a heart to forgive. He knew that this situation was going to bring me closer to him. And it did. When some, when you get robbed of one of the most precious assets or gifts, it's like a wake up call. It's like, well, what do I do now? Well, what do I do now is draw closer to God so I can find my purpose. I didn't go through what I went through just to say, yeah, I went through it. And to sit up and be bitter about it. No, I went through what I went through so I can educate and inform others how to avoid what I went through. That's right. How to sniff out a rat in your recruiting process. And like I said before, the last show, there are some single parents, single moms with kids who have a bright future, single dads, some kids that who don't have family support or maybe parents not living with their parents or living with Someone else, maybe AAU coach or, or whatnot, someone is going to hear this message and it's going to bless them. I've been getting flooded with emails and phone calls already about how my story is blessing others. And that's all I want to do. I'm not getting on here to be bitter or to bash, you know, my uncle or anybody else, the University of Tennessee, Doug Dickey or whoever else I named that was a part of the scandal that I went through. I'm in here. I'm on here to inform and to educate. And to bless those who have went through a similar situation that I have and and to help them to avoid going through this. And that's it. And I believe that a lot of people 
who are in the same shoes that you were in as a 17, 18 year old kid, they need to hear this story because I'm sure during the process, your gut was telling you that something was not right. And when I say your gut, now we know that's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Spirit. Exactly. It's letting you know something is not right. But as we draw close to God and as we gain or build a relationship with God, we learn to listen, you know, to the spirit. We learn to listen to our good. We learn to follow our peace, meaning that if you don't have peace in a situation, you don't go with it. That's true. And so now as an advocate of the sport, you're teaching young kids how to be led by the spirit of God. Exactly. If you don't have peace in a situation, don't do it. Exactly. Because although you're 17, 18 years old, God has been speaking to you since you were a child. Since I was a child. That's correct. You know, so I think about that and the way that we train our kids up and the way that we train, you know, our family up to to teach them how to hear God's voice. So when they're making these decisions, even if they don't have a committee of people, they have the Holy Spirit and he's more than a committee. Exactly. And that was very well put. And that is so true. At the at the time when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I loved God. But I really didn't understand who the Holy Spirit was because I had nobody in my life or in my family explaining to me the voice that you hear, the soft voice, the the soft, sweet, angelic voice that you hear is the Holy Spirit talking to you, Tony. You know, I didn't I didn't know that. And so what my wife said was was so true. I want to tell these 16, 17 year old, 18 year olds when they're going through their recruiting process and they have a family member or somebody or closer to them, their AAU coach is pushing for them and leaning on them to, to go to a certain university and they don't feel it in their spirit. That's the Holy Ghost talking to them and telling them, because if you don't have a peace, like my wife said, in any situation that you make, God is not in it. I didn't have peace when I signed my national letter of intent to go to the University of Tennessee. Because I didn't want to go. That wasn't the school of my choice. So now my wife and I, we're teaching our kids how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and how to discern and to be able to know when he's talking to you and when he's telling you, no, don't make this decision. Don't do it or it's going to cost you. Or yes, make this decision right here. That's right. And I remember Keith Easterwood, as you know, Keith is a great friend of ours, but I remember him saying that he remember you not having any peace before signing your letter of intent. You know, he remember and he recalls that day and he recalls it so vividly that you didn't have any peace in that decision. And I, and I, I want to say he advised you, you know, like to hold up or whatever. And I know it's been a while, but I, I remember him saying that there was no peace in that decision. He absolutely did say that. And shout out to Keith Easterwood is a good friend of my wife and I. He also does his podcast, which you guys should tune into. It's also on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And that's the Keith Easterwood show. But Keith Easterwood, I did see him maybe a day or two before I was signed. It might have been the day before I signed with the University of Tennessee. And he saw it was all over my face. And he was like, Tony, don't do it, man. I know you don't want to go there. And he knew it. He saw it on me. He was... He was able to see the stress 
that I was dealing with, which should have been a sweet moment at the time for me. It shouldn't have been a bittersweet moment. It should have been a sweet moment for me at the time as a 17-year-old high school senior. I'm about to sign, make a very important decision at the time. The most important decision of my life was picking the university that I should go spend the next one or two years at before I go to the NBA. And so he knew that. He knew there wasn't any peace. And so that is so vital. That is so big. I can remember times, like I told on my last few shows on the Keith Easterwood show. Also, I remember the recruiting process when all the different various coaches from around the country was coming in and I was having my home visits and God trying to tell me then he was showing me some things then, but I wasn't able to discern if that was God telling me that or not. Right. My uncle was sitting in the meetings in every school that came. I mean, you think of every top collegiate coach in the country. They came, sat on my couch in Binghamton. They came to Binghamton and sat on my couch and tried to sell their university. And my uncle, he was he was showing the most disrespectful posture that you can think of. And it really upset me. It was embarrassing. But as soon as University of Tennessee came in and Kevin O'Neill, his posture changed. He was all attentive. He was he was all in for what the coach was trying to sell to the university. And let the truth be told, the deal had already been done. So he was at the moment trying to make me feel like, well, you know, Tony, it's your decision, but. I like University of Tennessee, and he was for the University of Tennessee. So as a child, I wasn't able to deal with a manipulation spirit that was that wasn't from God. That was a strong spirit, because when somebody has been in your life and that's close to you, you feel like you owe them some. You feel like you're obligated to make them happy, so to speak. And that's what it was in my situation, because I felt like, well, you know what, regardless of where I signed, I'm going to go to the NBA. I'm going to accomplish my dream anyway. And that's really, in actuality, not how it works. You have to be in the perfect will of God. You can't be in a situation where your uncle or your auntie or your AAU coach tells you to go. You have to be in the situation or go where God tells you to go or where God is speaking for you to go. And I'm just so glad that I have accepted the call and I am the voice that speaks to the masses. And when I say that I am the voice that speaks to the masses, I think about John the Baptist when he replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. And so it reminds me so much when I say that, it, it reminds me so much when I say that, it puts me in remembrance of what John, John the Baptist was saying. He's saying there was someone that's going to come who's greater than me. So make the way, prepare the way for Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. Yeah, he was. And he made a great sacrifice, too. And he made a great sacrifice. Yes, he did. He died for Jesus, but he made that sacrifice. And so sacrifice, like I said, in my situation, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing because I took the positive from it. I took the positive from it. God's perfect will was for me to go to Memphis. I always had Memphis in my heart. I wanted to be a Memphis Tiger. Why wouldn't I want to be a Memphis Tiger? I grew up in the city of Memphis watching all the Tiger greats, Baskerville Holmes, Keith Lee, 
Andre Turner, Elliot Perry. Even Lorenzo Wright shouted me out in the draft when he got drafted. He brought my name up when he was on the podium. Lorenzo Wright did, who was a very close friend of mine, rest in peace, whom I love dearly, has a beautiful family. Love his dad, Herb Wright, his brother, Lou Wright. They're, they're great people. And Lorenzo, he sort of knew, he knew you're supposed to be a tiger. He knew I was going to be the next in line. And he shouted me out at the NBA draft. And I thanked him for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. So with that being said, I want to conclude. I want to conclude the show. I thank God every time I'm, I'm getting the opportunity to talk and to talk about my experiences. I just thank God. I'm in a, I'm in a better place now. I thank God for my situation. I even thank him for what all I've been through because it made me become a better man, a spiritual man, a better father, a better husband, because I went through what I went through. It's like when you go through a breaking, when you go through a shaking, when you go through pain, it pushes you to God. That woke me up. It's a birthing process. It's a birthing process. And I realized, I said, you know what? Well, life is much more than basketball. Life is much more than basketball. I need to build a relationship with God. I need to, that's the most important thing. I need to strengthen my relationship up with God. Yeah, I wanted to be in the NBA. Yeah, I was destined to be in the NBA. Yes, God intended for me to be in the NBA because that was his plan. That was his plan. But when the devil stepped in and robbed me, God always have a plan B. You got to know that. He always has a plan B. And I thank You know, I thank God for allowing me to release this because by me releasing my story, it vindicated Coach Larry Finch in a sense. Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, I love me some Larry Finch. I always have loved Larry Finch. And it really didn't sit well with me during my recruiting process after I signed with the University of Tennessee, how they did Larry at the end and how they fired him. Yeah. And I really felt bad for him. Because I didn't get an opportunity to play for him. I didn't have an opportunity to represent my city, the city where I grew up, the city that I love, you know, the city that I always wanted to play for and bring home possibly an NCAA championship. Right. And so that's something that I had to live with. That was a hard pill to swallow. And people were so critical of Larry Finch because he couldn't get any recruits. Larry Finch couldn't get Tony Harris. Because my uncle went to Larry Finch's office and told him, this is what I want if you want to get my nephew. And Larry Finch specifically told my uncle, he said, man, I can't get involved in that. I can't do that. I can't give you any money. My my uncle was demanding for money. And Larry Finch didn't want to jeopardize himself in his job, in his career, which which he showed great integrity. And I come in, my hat's off. I hate that this story had to come out at this time. I wish it could have came out before then. Maybe the story would have been different. Maybe he would have been able to keep his job. He wasn't able to get me. And it wasn't it wasn't Larry's fault. So many people, the city, you know, a lot of people turned on Larry because they felt like he couldn't get any recruits, which was not the truth. Larry could get recruits. Larry was a great recruiter. Memphis guys wanted to stay and play for Larry Finch. All Memphis guys wanted to stay for Larry Finch, including me. I seen Larry Finch's right-hand man, which was Leonard Draper. That was his right-hand man. I seen him out around the Poplar area 
once I left the University of Tennessee, and he stopped me. And Leonard Draper said, Tony, Larry Finch really wanted you, man. He really wanted you. And I was like, really? And I was so confused because all throughout my high school time, I was never getting letters. Well, I was getting I was getting letters. Let me say that. I was I was getting letters. But towards my senior year, I wasn't getting any letters from Memphis. I wasn't getting any attention. So I'm thinking I'm a McDonald's All-American. I'm from Memphis. I'm the back to back best of the preps, best player in the city of Memphis in 1996 and 97. And I'm not getting any love from my hometown. And I thought that Memphis didn't want me. But I didn't know that my uncle went behind my back and cut a deal for me to go to Tennessee. So I never had a chance to go to Memphis. And when I was talking to Larry, I mean, when I was talking to Leonard Draper, he said, Tony, your uncle came into the office and he told me the story that I'm telling you guys now. He said, Tony, Larry didn't want to give money to your uncle because he knew that wasn't right. He said, now, Tony, you know, Larry would have taken care of you, you know, if you needed anything. You know, he would have treated you like a a son. And I believe that because I've heard former players have said that about Larry Finch. And I was okay with that. I wasn't looking for the short term money. I was just looking for to be in the right situation and go to the school that I wanted to go to and go to the school where God ordained for me to go. God wanted me to go to Memphis because if he never if, if that wasn't so, he would have never birthed that and put that into my spirit. That's right. He told me that. And so when I heard that from Leonard Draper, of course, you know, my heart dropped. I was like, wow. And, you know, and my heart really at the time felt for Larry because during that time, I think he was getting sick. And that really hurt him, you know, how the University of Memphis, you know, cut ties with him. And I don't think he was able to bounce back after that. But rest in peace to Larry Finch, one of the greatest to ever grace the sidelines of Memphis State University. My heart will be all, always with him, and I will see him again one day, and we can talk about it and laugh about it when we do. So I just want to say I thank you guys for tuning in. In conclusion, and my shows will be available every Friday. And on iTunes, if you have an iPhone, you know, of course, the iTunes is on the iPhone. It's on the podcast app, right? That's right. And you can click on that. And type in the Tony Harris show and subscribe. I need you guys support. I thank you guys for tuning in. You guys have given me so much motivation. I've had so many people flooding my emails, calling me, telling me, Tony, what you're doing, man, is is, is great. You know, people have been blessed to our grown men, women, you know, who have played sports and have been reaching out to me, telling me how much my segments, how much my shows have been blessing them. Oh, yeah. It's the Tony Harris show subtopic is ahead of the game because I always want to teach you guys and these younger athletes coming up how to be ahead of the game. That's right. You always got to be ahead of the game. Got to be ahead of the game. And when you're ahead of the game, the de- the enemy can't come in and he can't rob you of your future. With that being said, I thank you guys. I'm going to leave it there. Bless you guys. You can catch this podcast this Friday. It will be on iTunes and SoundCloud. So check it out. Until next week, I'll see you guys again. Peace. Love every one of you.